Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. We have a very special show today. First, we have a wonderful guest and we have a new host. Our guest is actor and comedian Dave Merhej. You may know Dave as Ahmed on the Emmy-nominated hit show Rami, or you may have seen Dave stand up on Just for Laughs. Dave, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you for having me. You got it. And before we go any further, let me introduce you to Asha Davis. Asha is a strategy director here at TBWA Shiat Day New York, and now a host of the Disruptor Series podcast. Welcome, hey, Asha. Happy to be here. Very excited. Well, listen, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get going. Awesome. So, Dave, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the Disruptor Series. An honor to have you join us. So, just to sort of start off, for our listeners that may not have seen the show, just give us a little bit of a, of a synopsis of what is Rami about? It's about Rami him, uh, himself not playing I don't want to say it's his faith and him living in in a millennial age and him navigating that and him trying to I guess like respect his faith but also live in this world. So you're watching him and it's about relationships, it's about family. So you're watching him navigate in this world. Mm-hmm. And so really sort of based on uh, the lead character, obviously, Rami Youssef, who's also a comedian as well. Yeah. You know, really interesting, though, looking at sort of the show being based on like really real experiences, right, uh, of, a, of a Muslim American, to, to your point in sort of modern American life. It kind of that does kind of sound like a disruption to me. And it's not really something you see all the time. Right. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's like a, about one particular family. You know what I mean? I don't think it's about like, I don't think every Middle Eastern or Muslim family is specifically like that. I think it's about that one particular family. And you don't see, I one, I don't think you see faith, like you'll make fun of, like there'll be jokes about mocking religion. Like you'll watch it, like whether it's stand up or it's in TV shows, but like he leans into the faith in a positive way, I think. Because I've never seen, I'm a Catholic, you know, usually you'll make Catholic jokes or whatever the case, uh, but here you're seeing someone who really wants to respect his faith. And that, I haven't seen that on TV in particular. And also you don't see these characters. You know, usually this, you'll see stereotypes of Middle Eastern people in a negative manner. Very seldom is it in, in, a, in a positive light. But he's also showing like individual human issues that we have. Do you know what I mean? None of these characters I feel are perfect. And you know, it's not, He's showing that side. And I, I like that. Like you're seeing the uncle who's racist, who's misogynistic. You're seeing that. You know what I mean? It's not sugarcoated. So I, that part I think is dope, personally. Yeah. And, and, and it's really interesting because, you know, you kind of hit on something that I feel like you're kind of hitting on on purpose, which is really honing in on this is not a homogenized, generalized experience of, you know, what it's like to be Muslim in America. This is the experience of, you know, Rami and a specific family. It's not about what it's like to be Middle Eastern in America. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as you sort of mentioned, you know, you're, well, I know you're, you're Middle Eastern, you're, you're Lebanese. Canadian, but you're Catholic, you know, and and it's really interesting. I'm actually just curious as to, you know, have you learned anything from being on the show and kind of how has your experience been? Yeah, again, like you're saying, it's like, it's not 
trying to generalize. You know, I think if you just make an overall show about what you think every Muslim American family is, I don't think you're going to get an honest, honest depiction. Because you're trying to, I feel like you're trying to check off boxes. For me, what I learned, I didn't know a lot of this. Uh, like, again, I'm Catholic. Like, I grew up with Muslim friends, but I didn't really, like, I wasn't paying attention to their religion. Like, I wasn't asking questions or, you know, if they went and prayed, they went and prayed. I wasn't going, you know, if they went to the mosque. But on the show, I learned a lot of things about the faith. So over the last two seasons, I, those are things I didn't know. I never, yeah, I think I was in a mosque for the first time, I believe filming this show. I've never been in a mosque before that. Wow. I mean, probably a lot of people that watch the show probably think you're Muslim, right? Or pro- ha- ha- have you experienced that? All the time, man. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Because they, they usually don't even go, hey, are you Muslim? They go, they start into it. So they'll talk about their lives and how things have changed and how they can connect. And then it's just like, I go, I, I wait respectively and I go, Hey, man, I I really respect what you're saying, but uh, I have to give you uh, the truth is I'm Catholic. And then they go, oh, and I go, and I'm Canadian. I don't know why I add the Canadian. Like, that does nothing for the conversation. (laughs) They go, Canadian, huh? I go, yeah, like that. I don't know why that is like, uh, I think that's another dagger. I'm like, oh, you think I'm not Muslim, but I'm also Canadian, dude. (laughs) (laughs) In true Canadian fashion, as a fellow Canadian, it almost seems like you're apologizing because you're not Muslim and because you're not American. (laughs) I think I was like, oh, by the way, also, I know I've disappointed you, but I'm also not from this country. I am uh, Canadian. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel people are disappointed when I tell them I'm Canadian, too. But, but, you know, just kind of staying there for a quick second, you know, I'm actually just curious. I want to kind of hear your thoughts because, as you mentioned, people from the Muslim community have been sort of coming up to you um, as a result of your role on the show. Why do you think Rami is important to that community and, and why do you think it's an important show in general? I think it's like they don't really see themselves depicted, whether it's like maybe they might not fully, they're not doing what the characters do personality wise, but I mean, like they're seeing... You know, if somebody wanted to act like a, a, a young Arab Muslim or even uh, Catholic, you know, wanted to act or even direct or whatever, then they see this show doing super well. And before they might have felt insecure, or they didn't think there was someone there to represent them. I think that's so beautiful because it is doing that. It is inspiring, I think, people to write more, to pitch shows, to act. You know, it's I would go through that. I would see, like, coming up in stand-up even, I'm like, is there a Middle Eastern comedians or actors? And then, you know, we had, like, Tony Shalhoub or, like, it was just, I couldn't name five, you know, and that sucks because you want to, like, kind of, you get excited no matter, I, I get excited. I'm like, oh, he's Lebanese? I'm like, oh, I'm Lebanese. So... Now you have this cast in this show that's not only like representing, but also doing super well, like, and being received well. And I think it's great. And then you're talking about topics as well that, you know, they may have not been hard in their households to talk about sex, about relationships, you know, and then now it's being shown on TV. So I think it opens up dialogue within families as well. And like friends, like those conversations that they may not have wanted to have, they can have now. Yeah, that that is really beautiful, actually, because, yeah, when you really think about how strict um, certain sort of Muslim households can be sometimes, you know. Catholic, too. You know, I I was, you know, my family isn't that strict in a sense of like, you know, they weren't like 
a stereotypical, like, we want you to be a doctor or a dentist. They would have liked that maybe, but I mean, like I told my parents I wanted to do comedy since I was a kid. And they were both like, yeah, man, just as long as you're happy. And, you know, my mom was just like, get an education. That was important to her, which I did, but they weren't like pressing me. They come to all the shows, but, you know, I have Middle Eastern friends that, that they have to hide that they're doing comedy or they can't talk about a certain thing. Like I could talk about sexual stuff on stage for like an hour and my mom will just be sitting there in the audience with drinking like a drink and she'll just be laughing. And I know it's uncomfortable, but you know, maybe she's just like, I love my kid that much that I'll ignore that. But you know, I have that, those type, those kind of freedoms, I think. And I'll see other friends of mine who might not. And it just like, I don't know, it's, it's really in there where there's that pressure and you don't feel comfortable talking. You know what I mean? Even like you look at therapy in our, in our, the Middle Eastern community, you don't hear people going like I'm seeing a therapist. It's just like, what? I even like joke about it. I used to, I tell people, I'm like, it's like I'm snitching on my family. <laughs> I was like, I ain't no rat. <laughs> but these are like my emotions, but I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you might not have become a, a doctor in real life, but I'm sure mommy's happy to see you uh, at least pretending to be one on TV, right? Oh, yeah, but they don't believe it. I think yesterday I was like, uh, I think I cracked a bone, and my boy goes, you what? He goes, you play a doctor, man. <laughs> you're, even like, you're not even trying to get certain ter terminology, basic ones right. I go, yeah, yeah, you're right. I do play a doctor. Uh, you know, as we said, like, this is the Disruptor series, and, and uh, Rami is definitely a, a disruptive uh, television show for a variety of different reasons, as you kind of outlined, and is really the first time that we are kind of seeing that depicted, you know, on, on TV. And I'm, I'm curious because, you know, in, in one sense, it's disruptive, but on another sense, you know, we're, American television has, has a lot of times really focused on telling the stories of family kind of through a white lens, right? Right? Obviously, you know, we can name a whole bunch of TV shows, some of which we were talking about before, you know, and and so but the, the opportunity to sort of get a glimpse into other cultures is not necessarily super new. Right. And, and, you know, we think about shows like, you know, Family Matters or Blackish or Dare I Say the Cosby Show or, you know, even Fresh Off the Boat more recently, you know, kind of giving you sort of a, a look at something that or a life or a culture that uh, many Americans may not have seen before. I'm curious to just kind of hear your thoughts of how you think uh, Rami compares to to those types of shows. Well, you know, I don't think there's like a comparison. I don't think so. Maybe because I know, you know, I hear him speak and I hear him talk about the show and I've come to that. Those are the th thoughts. I, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, not in a bad way. I, I just don't think they're, they're comparable because each person is telling their, their story. And it's, and I think that's completely different in a sense that it might be similar into that you don't see these uh, people represented that's for sure. I think there's a similarity there, 100%. Yeah, that's fair. And that, that makes sense. I think there, there's a term now that um, Shonda Rhimes uses, which is called first only different. And it's kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of the first to, to sort of do something. And I, I think I'm with you. I, I feel like it is kind of tough to compare them. And I do think there, there isn't really a, a, a huge strong comparison in in that way because of yeah. how Rami is structured and it's like you you put like i think when you do first there's like this pressure of like oh that's the first one 
you know, don't mess this one up. You know, you're like representing for all of us. So I think there's that pressure, which is, I think is unnecessary. And then, you know, you get used to, I think I got used to, you get to see like white families for like, even since I was growing up on TV that you're like, you know, that's all you see for like, for majority of my TV experience growing up until, until now it was like, like 80%, I was 90, all white families. And, you know, I know a white family, I think more than any other family besides my family. You know, I know how, a, how a Sean will act or, you know, but uh, it's so when I think, you, you know, you have other people being represented, I think, I think that you want to be like, that's the first. And it's just like, I don't know, again, like I said, it's like this pressure you're putting it on on the show and the, the people doing it, everyone involved. It's so interesting because you hit on that. Obviously, for our listeners that can't see us, neither Dave nor myself is a white person. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to even just hear that because even when we talk about it and it's like, you know, you're seeing other cultures, you know, on TV, we're talking about our own cultures, right? Like we've been, it's almost like the standard is white culture like why why is that you know what i mean that that's i mean at least in my opinion that's why i think you know shows like rami are 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 so important you know and and also you know obviously there's a lot more shows showing black people and and sort of that experience but again a lot of times it's sort of a, a generalized experience or more of like a homogenized demonstration of of what that life is and i i think that is not always the approach that I'd want to see either. And it's like when you're pitching something, people will be like, oh, well, you know, Aziz had a show. So, hey, man, we can't we can't take your show. But what? Like, you don't say that to Kevin James or like five other white leads. You don't go, hey, man, we have we had, you know, there was home improvement, dude. Sorry, can't have your show. It's about a, like there could only be one ethnic family on TV for every five years. I, if that feels like I don't, and that starts. I think that's just, that's in the systematic, I, I, you know, from the top. From it's in it's ingrained in, in in the industry. It's like you hear that 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 terminology is so normal. It's like I've heard it multiple times. I've heard someone go, "No, nah, man, we already have a show about about brown people." And you're like, "Well, I'm not, I'm not brown. Like I'm brown, but I'm not." which brown are you talking about? And then, you know, they, you'd be talking about East Indian or Pakistani. Like, it's not, that exactly happened. It was like a, a, a an audition. I see the guy on the street, like a few days after, this is in Canada, and he goes, hey man, good job, but we already had our brown person. We already, and like, he's saying it jokingly, we already picked a brown, but it's, at the time, you know, I was just laughing because I was scared. I don't want to lose any, like, work. So I kind of laughed with him, but now I look back at it, I was like, that was not cool. Like, why, what do you mean? Like, you don't say we already got, we already got a white person, man. Also, you got five, you know, you, we don't want five Todds, you know what I mean? We just want, you don't hear that. And I think that's, that's not right. And I, I think that also, again, puts other pressure because then the network might be like, well, okay, man, we'll give you a shot. We'll give your ethnic show a shot. And it's like, they're almost waiting for it to like fail. Because they're just like, fine, fine, you've pressured us into into this. Yeah, that's such a good point that I, I don't think really gets talked about a lot. You know, we, we oftentimes sort of celebrate, you know, wow, this is so different. But it's like, why is it so different when there's, you know, a hundred shows that kind of look the same? Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, you know, have you ever heard of the term Mina? No, not that I think, no. 
Okay, so MENA is a term, it actually means Middle East and North Africa region. And this is basically kind of an updated term in order to describe people from Middle Eastern descent, you know, from Egyptian descent, you know, North African descent. And, you know, this is really interesting because to me, the fact that even you've never heard of this term, and this is now kind of an academic term used to describe people like you, you know, um, I think is, is also sort of an interesting thing that just kind of plays into the fact that we, we kind of need more representation like this, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't use me in as an example. <laughs> I'm not knowing that word. I want to put that out there. <laughs> Cause you don't know a lot of things. So just I like, <laughs> I'm wearing a wrestling shirt for God's sake. I, I, <laughs> Well, but you're wearing a wrestling shirt of Canadians, you know. <laughs> Bret Hart, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's so interesting because obviously, I mean, you know, I'm I'm half Pakistani, so people never know what box to put me in, and I'm Canadian, yeah. so I'm not African American. I don't know. It's just so it's it's interesting, you know. Which... Like, but I mean, like in Canada, you, you know, there are obviously racist people there, but I mean, like in Canada, at least you can have those discussions. I'm like, oh, I'm Guyanese, and people are like, oh. You start saying that sometimes in America and they're like, you're like, what? What is that? Like, I remember I sometimes I'd be like, I'm Lebanese. No, I'd be, I'm Lebanese. And then like 20 minutes later, someone who would be like, so you're Iraqi, right? And I go, no. <laughs> like, it's not that hard, man. I, I didn't throw a curveball. I just said, those are like two completely different things. So Yeah, I, I think I say that all the time because it is, you know, I think both of us, we moved to New York at least around a similar time, you know, and uh, I know you had kind of done stints back and forth. Um, but, you know, for me, that was probably one of the, the, the trickiest things to sort of get used to was that, you know, that, that is a big difference of having those conversations of like, what are you? And like, you know, it's it's a whole different conversation here than it, than it was back home in Canada. No, there's an American friend of mine, you know, I think once he goes, what are you? I'm like, I'm Lebanese. And he goes, he goes, nah, man. He goes, he goes, he goes, you black. (laughs) Cause it was like, he want cause it's like black, white, and Spanish. He's like anything else. It's like, no, man, I don't want my brain to, to, to work that way. I'm just going to put you in the three of these. So I thought that was funny when he said that. He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to investigate or look into what culture that is. So I'm just going to put you over here. Yeah, they always want to put us in a box. Like, why can't I just be? I feel Canada celebrates that in a sense. They're just like, oh, you're Pakistani. And then they're like, my friend is this is like this conversation that comes right after. Exactly. Like I've, I've actually been in conversations where I'm like, I'm actually equal parts Pakistani as I am Jamaican. And they're like, no, you're just black. And I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I am, but I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyways, you know, besides, you know, the ethnic and, and the religious, uh, you know, diversity that, that Rami really celebrates and, and brings to life, you know, there, there's another element of disability diversity on, on the show that I think is really interesting and, and definitely something you don't see all the time, right? You know, obviously the character of Steve, you know, played by Steve Way, 
for, for those that don't know, Steve is a comedian. Um, he's also a teacher, a motivational speaker, and he happened to be born with uh, muscular dystrophy. You know, and he's a really strong uh, advocate for disability awareness. And, you know, I know that Rami and Steve have been friends for a really long time, I think like since fifth grade or something like that. And, I, you know, I, I'm sure that you probably, you know, ran into Steve maybe on the New York uh, stand-up circuit. I'm guessing maybe you, you met him before the show, but uh, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm actually just curious, you know, why do you think that Steve's role on the show is important? And sort of have you learned anything from working so closely with him? Um, I met, I didn't even meet Steve through stand-up. I, I, you know, I actually, before we started filming first season, a friend of mine, Fivos, his homie is there, because Fivos is from London and his homie uh, is an actor. Yes, and he has this uh, film school called uh, Film Club. It's an acting class. He was doing, he does them in London, but he was doing them in LA and New York. So people was like, you should get in on it. It's like, you know, before you start filming. And I was like, of course, I want to, you know, get better at the craft. And Steve was going to be in there too. That's the first time I met Steve. I've, uh, I heard of him, but I mean, I've never met him. And we were like in the hallway and then right away, Steve just started clowning me. I think other people were clowning me and he went right in. And I think we just bonded off of him just dissing me. I was like, okay, I don't know this guy, but this is hilarious and we're going to work together. And he was, he was great in class, dude. Like he sma- he was probably, he was smashing it, to be honest with you. Every exercise we would do, scene, he was just on top of it. He was like on fire, man, uh, to be honest with you, when I look back at it. And then when we started filming, he's just so funny. Yeah, it's just, to me, he's just a funny, funny ass actor. Like, like, you know, working with him. And I got to know him very, very well. I've been to his crib. I know his family. Like, it's just uh, so sweet. And he does it. it. It's not even about the disability in a sense to me. It's like he's just so perfect for that role. He's like funny. He hits all the lines. He just he's can improv. It's just it's just great. And he should represent it. Like, you, you know, I, I read he did an interview or an article where he's saying he's like, you're getting people to play these roles. You know, why not get the actual people to play them if they're that? And he's talented. So there's no reason he shouldn't be on camera because he's just a talented dude. Yeah. Do you think that that's interesting that that last point, like, do you think that there's some sort of general assumption that, you know, Hollywood is, it's like, it's the same. It's not the same, but like, it's just like, they're going to be like, well, we don't know. They don't know. It's like, look, you saw, you saw this guy blaze every scene. You saw him be so natural and funny. Like what's the, why are you questioning it anymore? Like, look, he did the job and he did the job at, at just as high or higher than all the actors or actors on TV. He's just, yeah, he did the job. And that's, that's, that's the important part. Yeah. Have you, have you learned anything from Steve? Uh, I learned how to take a good diss. (laughs) (laughs) That means an insult. Uh. No, no. One time we were at, we were doing press and I got the hotel had, the hotel had a lot of, had candy jars and I just kept, Steve was like, He's like behind me somewhere and I'm like, ooh, I just kept going, ooh, candy. And then he I turn around and he goes, ah, like he's like, grow up. You're a, you're a, an adult, dude. <laughs> but it was just the image of me turning around and just he was just staring at me. He's like, what are you doing, dude? It's like you're almost 40 at the time. Like, why are you eating candy like that? It's like 7 a.m. <laughs> so. 
I just learned. I just have like a good ass time, man. Like we've been to wrestling events together. I don't, you know, he's just he's just a homie, dude. Like it's just I don't know, you know, I don't know how to. That's yeah, that's the best way I can explain it. I just have a good time. He's super funny to me, and it's just always like the riffs are great. It's just a good time, dude. That's awesome. You know, and I, I, I hope that, you know, as we sort of look to the future, having, you know, a differently abled person play such a prominent role on an Emmy nominated show yeah. uh, isn't as much of a disruption in the future as it is now. And, and I learned like, str- like, you know, confidence and strength from him. He's just like, he's just like, and he's himself, man. Like just in gen- general as a person, like you're just getting this real ass person disability or not you're just getting this honest person who's going to be honest with you like i don't feel when i'm with steve he's holding back anything with me if he's clowning me or if he's telling me this or he's i feel he's coming also from an always an honest point of view and stuff and he loves rap music too we kick it like that wu-tang big pun i think we were going to go to a concert together and stuff i know you weren't going to a big pun hologram concert but uh no 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 we just like i think we were chopping it up about big pun i love talking about big pun so (laughs) could talk about big pun all day. You know, last question on this. I'm curious because, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, your role as as Ahmed. And, uh, you know, obviously he's a doctor. And, you know, he's Muslim in an arranged marriage to a lovely wife, you know. Uh, He's American, you're Canadian. Um, You know, I'm, I'm curious though, you know, is there anything that you can relate to with your character? Is there anything that you guys sort of have in common? I think maybe like how I feel the character is written is like the weirdness of him, like some of the weird things he says. I would say those, you know, I can connect there, like the odd things in a conversation, like not almost halting us conversation, but you're like, get people to turn and be like, why would you say that? Is like a lot of that has been like throughout my whole life. Like, even in my friend's circle, people are like, why would you say that? Or why would you think that? I go, well, and yeah, so I think there it, re- it relates. And, and like, the, the sincerity that he has for his friends and the caring that he has for friends. I, I kind of, I have the same way where I, like, I'm a very rider, ride or die for, them, for my friends. Where I was like, yeah. okay, we, you know, we, this is what we're doing? Okay, we're doing this. I'll, ri- I'll ride with the homie. Like, you know what I'm saying? Is this, is this, what, is this what you want? Let's go. Let's do this. Yeah, I mean, you really see that a lot more in season two. Like for once, uh, for for people, I, I strongly encourage them to watch the show and 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 keep watching for season two because it really is interesting, kind of how you see the growth of your character and and even, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but going on some of those adventures and and things like that, it is really interesting. Uh, and I can attest to the fact that you're a great friend. You know, you're an awesome person. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, so I want to uh, switch gears a little bit um, and, and talk a little bit more about you and, and talk a bit about, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to share uh, a bit about your journey, you know, and kind of how you got here, right? You're now you're, you're this famous guy on this Emmy nominated uh, TV show. But when did you really know that the traditional path wasn't for you? You know, you talked a little bit about, you know, telling your family that you want to do comedy, but how did you really know that that path wasn't for you? You know, I remember being 14, I can remember. Well, I mean, when we were kids, me and my sister, Mary, and my cousin, Danny, we were always like, I don't I would, I would make them do fake sitcoms. You know what I mean? Like, I would be like, okay, you do this scene, you do this scene, I would be like, action, we would do it. It's just, and we would do imitations. We like I remember at my grandma's, he lived above my grandmother, my cousin. So we would be in my, in, uh, my grandma's crib in, in the room 
and we would do like this fake talk show and then we would do impressions of Mike Tyson or Michael Jackson or whatever, some like a, this, a celebrity. And it was just, as I look back, it was hilarious watching my cousin or sister do a voice. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? None of them were getting paid. Uh, um, but my sister could do Steve Urkel. She would do Steve Urkel at like weddings and like put a hat down and would make money. I used to be hella jealous of her too. I remember looking at her like, yo man, I could dance. It was so whack on my part, but I, there was always something I, I, I wanted to do. Like my cousin really like, you know, and my sister didn't care. They were just doing it, I think, cause I was doing it and we were kids and we would make tapes. Remember back then, you know, we'd have the, the, the radio, the, we put the tape in and record our, our scenes and we showed it to my uncle. And it was a, it was, a, it was I guess he, it was dirty. <laughs> like. <laughs> I'm going to tell your parents, like he ratted us out. I was like, what a snitch. Uh, I just remember him getting up. He goes, well, I'm going to tell your parents. We're like, yo, uncle, come on, man. So uh, from there, I think I just, I don't know. I just, and me and my sister, um, we love talk shows. I loved like, I loved Soul Train. I loved any type of award show, like the Blockbuster MTV. It's just so intrigued by that world. that I, I think I just wanted to be an entertainer. I didn't really specifically know what that would entail or what it was about and then i think my uncle brian he would show me like he'd show me my cut me my cousin my sister stand-up stuff like he'd show us i think we were too young he'd show us andrew dice clay eddie murphy and richard pryor he really got me into richard pryor and from there it was just a wrap i fell in love with richard pryor thought he was the still think he's the greatest all time and then i just started to think about stand-up and uh, at 14, I told my best friend at the time, Rodi, I was like, I want to do stand-up, bro. And I didn't know, you, I didn't know you could, your parent could bring you. I thought you had to be like 19 to get into the clubs or bars. And then just waited till I was 19. Did stand-up, bombed in Windsor at this competition for Yuck Yucks. And then kind of waited till I graduated college to take it serious. And then worked a year in Windsor and moved to Toronto. And then just took it from there. And then just kept like hustling and hustling. But it was like, that's where it started. Like, because I would ask my mom, I'm like, did you know I wanted to do this? And she was just like, yeah, you know, you, you, from when you were up there, it just felt natural. She was always supportive. I remember being in the laundry room when I was a kid and I asked her. And she was like, yeah. She's like, you know, I, I, I think it's something that you were like born to do. And, you know, but then you always go all that. My, of course, your mom would say that. And I, I think I tried to check her too. I was like, yeah, but you're my mom. <laughs> And she, she didn't like that. She was just like, no, I would say it if I wasn't. Like, she was like, very like, she's like, I'm not standing down on this point. So, and my dad just likes being talked about on stage. So he's like, this, mom, this guy, this guy <laughs> loves that shit. Yeah, I mean, your dad's basically a celebrity from, from your comedy. I mean, anybody who's a fan of you is definitely a fan of your dad. For sure. My dad, like, I did a Just for Laughs last year, the ethnic show. And I think they told me that, like, Yo, you know, you could talk more, you know, talk about your dad. Like they were, I was like, man, this guy's getting so much shine. <laughs> <laughs> guy's telling me like stories on the phone that I don't know if they're real. He just wants to get in the act. Like, you know, Dave, I uh, went to the store. I'm like, hey, man. <laughs> That's funny. So now your dad's trying to like give you bits about his own, about himself. I jokingly. Yeah. But I mean, like the guy is just a, a, an enigma. Like he just, he bits are going to come. Like, it's just like, I don't think he's never trying. It's just like, he's legit. I never met anyone like that. Like, I don't know how his brain works and you ask him, and it just gets more confusing. Like it's just wild. Sometimes his thoughts were like, my family will call me to tell me about it. 
like my mom will get giddy and she's like, I have to tell you this, your dad, this story about your dad. Or my brother Joe will do like 20 minutes on the phone about my dad. It's like never ends. And you know, it, it truly is a, an, an awesome thing in life to have amazing parents and, and supportive parents. Uh, you know, do you think that you would have been that adamant about doing it if your parents weren't as supportive? I would have still done it. It's something I never, I don't know anything like, you know, you know, sometimes when I was coming up, even, even sometimes, you know, yeah, even still, you, you think, you know, when it gets hard, you're like, why did I do this? <laughs> why wasn't I intrigued by anything else? Why am I, why am I so fixated on this? It's just the only thing that I can remember being strongly pushing me to do. Like I liked soccer, you know, but I knew I wasn't going to be a professional soccer player. You know what I mean? But comedy was the only thing where I just knew. I just knew. I was like, this is what I want. This is what I'm supposed to do. And as corny as that sounds, it's just I didn't have anything else really in my head that was, would drive me this much or give me a purpose, to be honest with you. Like, if you said, don't chase this, I'd just be probably be like, well, what am I going to just smoke weed for the rest? Like, I don't even know what I would do, dude. I would like, I can't go back to my diplomas with marketing. I can't go back and get a job at 40. Hey, I'm going to take over. <laughs> Well, we work in marketing. You could get a job here, maybe. <laughs> I actually took a year of Yeah, by the way, I, I, I'm, I can arrange something. <laughs> hey, Dave, I, well, one thing I do want to go back to that you guys hit on is what's the deal with Canadian comedians conquering America? So if I just think Lorne Michaels, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, John Candy, Norm MacDonald, I mean, what is it? How come you Canadians are they're so much funnier than we are? Well, I, 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 you know, like there's, a, I look at, I look at like a guy like Russell Peters, right? Like one of the, like, in a sense, he, he was like so dope in Canada. Like you, you, I remember watching him when I, before I moved to Toronto from Windsor, I'm in the, I'm in Yuck Yucks, downtown Toronto. The energy is insane. I was like, this is like, this guy's already a rock star, but it's like that. It's like Canada. I don't know if they don't have the, the, uh, the capacity or the industry to prop these individuals to a high platform because I'm looking at this guy going like, yo, this guy's got this room. The energy in this room is insane. This is like some, it's wild. And then they just, they get frustrated, I feel. And then Americans find them and then they, they make them huge. You know what I mean? It's, and, and because we, it's like, it's like we've been training so much in Canada without like with minimal opportunity that we just, keep sharpening the knife, I feel. So that when we get to America, it's just like, yo, where did you come from? And you're like, no, man, I've been doing this 17 years in Canada. <laughs> are, are Americans going the other way? I mean, are we, are we caring are in Canada? Yeah, I know too. And they're doing All right. well. Yeah. All right. So and I by the way, I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think we could have the same conversation about Canadian football, although I do love the CFL. <laughs> I've been to uh, a few CFL games, but yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, I know what you're saying. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. All right, Asha, sorry. <laughs> no, but I, I just have to jump in for that one second. I, I'm actually curious, Dave, do you think it's the different perspective uh, of growing up in Canada or like, I, I'm actually just curious in terms of how being Canadian has, has affected your, your comedy. Well, also, too, like, there are Canadian entertainers that really find so much success in Canada, and I admire that, and I'm low-key jealous of that because that's, like, I love Canada, the quality of life there. It's so great. So there is, like, opportunity. It's just that, again, it's just not not as much as America. So then you have people 
being frustrated and be like, I need another way. So they either go to London or they go to the UK or they go to America. But like how the culture is, I guess, because, you know, I grew up in Windsor. I grew up around my family's Middle Eastern. There was a, there was a larger Middle Eastern community and like, you know, and I grew up in Canada. I think that adds, I don't know what that adds to my stand up. I guess it's just my personality and I'm being born there. I don't really know how to explain it. You know, I feel sometimes Americans, and I'm generalizing, are loud. Like you walk into a room and there's, there's like a guy that's like, he has like a beer, two beers in his mouth. And he's like, ha and just like knocking shit over. And Canadians, I feel, might be in the background, whether they're timid or not, and making jokes about that. They're like, look at this. This is like, like this observation that they have. I don't know if that's real, but it's just like, uh, it, it, I could be completely generalizing. But I feel sometimes Canadians have it maybe a chance to to observe a little bit more because america's out here wilding out and then you're like well i don't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point because we can we can just kind of watch from a distance and yeah, we're watching like yo they're doing that over there you know what i mean it's just like yo the president said what like it's not even even our prime minister is like oh man like he's just i feel like i'm not saying again i'm just it's it's generalizing it's like we have a a, 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 a humility i feel it's like you even look at how the flags are like you know i remember being somewhere in michigan and every house had an american flag yeah and i just was like and i remember going back to canada going that's insane well like i just don't picture i don't hear canadians go i go what are you putting up there flag man this is <laughs> what it's the canada flag man canadian pride man <laughs> you'd be like get in your house fred what, what are you doing? Like you don't see, I don't see Canadian flags. Like if I see a Canadian flag on a house, it's barely, it's like, it might be a holiday. Like I don't, but you go to America, it's like very America. So like there's this, this built in, I feel this arrogance, like since they were like kids, like pride that we have pride for our country, but our pride, I feel doesn't get in the way of our, of our vision almost like it doesn't clog what's happening. So you don't hear Canadians goes, Oh, it's Canada, man. <laughs> just, just a, it's, it's just a tone, I feel, when an American goes. It's almost a stereotype. It's like, it's America, man. And you're like, okay, yeah, I know. I crossed your border, bro. Like, I completely understand I'm in your country. I flew here. I actually booked my ticket to come here. So you don't have to yell at me that it's America. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> I don't want to generalize, but, uh, you know, we do have an American, uh, Rob's American, so, you know, he, he can weigh in there. But as a Canadian, I feel like I kind of agree with you. <laughs> we suck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and by the way, you guys have a really nice flag and a nice anthem, which oh, I've heard at you. several hockey games. Yes. <laughs> yes. And at several NBA games because the Toronto Raptors are the longest reigning NBA champions in history. Okay. I'm not, I'm not like a fan, but I mean, like I could support it, but yeah, they are. Speaking of not generalizing because I'm from Toronto, which is the more famous part of Canada than Windsor, sure. you sure. know? And so it's like, even when people, even when I'm sure, Dave, when you say you're Canadian, people are like, oh, you're from Toronto, you're from the Sins, you like Drake, you know? No, they actually go, uh, you're from Drake. I go, what? They're like, you came out of Drake's body. I go, yeah, yeah, we all did. That's how we were all born. They're like, oh, for real? I go, yeah, everyone, Drake opened up his stomach and population. <laughs> <laughs> people will be like, for real? I go, yeah, man, I kind of aged fast, though. <laughs> 
um, if, if people couldn't tell from our from our conversation, I'm actually just curious. Like, if you had to define what your comedic style is, like, what what would you say it is? Probably like ranty and like all over the place in a sense. Not like not like constructed all over the place. Like you know, like stream of consciousness storytelling. Yeah, that sounds, uh, you know, as I've, I've been watching you, obviously, I became a fan seeing you at uh, Toronto's famous Yuck Yucks Comedy Club, like, um, probably a decade ago, um, at this yeah. point. And it's like, it's like, it's gotten more sillier, I think, over time, because it was a lot more angrier back then. So it's like, a, you know, it's evolved, which I'm, I, you know, I can't, I hopefully want to evolve all the time and not stay. That's one of my things is like, I don't want to say, I don't want to become stagnant. Because I've watched it happen to people I know, and I've watched the people I don't know in, in, in the scene, and I was like, I don't want to be like that. But that's that that constant sort of uh, evolution is a is a great way to sort of to think about it because I'm sure there's people that you can probably think of that are the same now as they were 20 years ago. For sure, because you're stuck in the same jokes, right? It's like uh, I try to explore like what do I feel at the moment or the time. So if I'm not feeling this type of way, I'm not going to press those jokes. So Yeah. And, you know, kind of speaking of the moment and sort of the time that we're in, obviously it's, it's 2020 right now, you know, and, and we're in the world of COVID comedy and kind of whatever that means, right? Um, I'm curious, like, how has COVID impacted you, impacted your comedy career? Uh, you know, look, at the beginning, it was like I had, I had dates and shows and plans and it just, you know, uh, it didn't happen. And, you know, it, it's it affected everyone. So I feel like I, I don't want to be selfish in my own thoughts about it because everyone was affected. Um, it was depressing at first. It was like sad. And then, then it was like, I felt good to have downtime. I felt good to, to, to clear my thoughts. So there was, it was a lot of phases. And then it was like, okay, man, this is too much. I want to get back into it. And then it's like, no, I don't even want to do stand up. I, I, I don't like, I feel like I don't have the, I don't have the energy personally or just the, my brain's not going there. And then, I'll, yeah, so it's like a bunch of different emotions. That's so interesting, like, because, you know, you you said earlier that comedy stand-up was all you ever wanted to do. You know, there was no other thing. And then, you know, now you're kind of saying that you, as a result of kind of how things have shifted, it, it just wasn't in you or you did, you're not feeling it. Well, I mean, like, I guess it's it's, it's like, and a feeling it in a sense, like I've always, you know, I used to, I always, I love it. I, I, oh, I'm going to love it. I still like, it's awesome. It's the dopest thing I've ever done and dopest feeling. But then there's a point sometimes what I was doing was I was basing my happiness off of stand up and, and sets. So if I was in, you know, every, my happiness was just connected to my performances and you can't live that way for a long time. You can't. And then so like with therapy and just thinking like, training my mind to be like, no, you can exist without, like your happiness can exist without this thing was very helpful because it was getting kind of foggy and poisonous. But what I mean now is that it's just like, I guess I have, you know, the last time I was on stage was in March. So there was, uh, you have like a certain rhythm, but it's not that I don't want to go on stage. It's just like at this moment, I don't, I don't have such an urgency to go on. And I don't know if that's, that's probably partly to do because you know, I started to do more acting and I started to, you know, do other things. I think that plays into it as well. It's not like I do miss it a lot, even like, you know, but it's just like we're in a uncertain state. So I'm, I feel uncertain a bit, like, you know, and then my anxiety kicks up like, bro, you're going to be inside. 
what about this and that? What about, you know? So there's a lot of factors that play into it. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously you mentioned before, you know, obviously every comedian is sort of going through this in, in their own way. Yeah. Um, have you watched any zoom shows, been to any outdoor shows? Just curious to kind of hear your thoughts on, you know, how things have evolved there. Yeah. Never done a zoom show. I, I, I don't want to bomb on a screen like that, you know, so <laughs> I don't want to do my saying I'm doing, I do a lot of act outs. So that's not going to translate. <laughs> I, my, one of my nightmares is all, not, it's not a nightmare, but I just feel like I would play this in my head if someone asked me to do a Zoom show. It's like you do your material and you can see people nodding, but then just closing your laptop after. I feel it's the most depressing <laughs> shit ever, dude. It's like, well, okay, good night. And then you're just, it's like, <laughs> no one talks about the 20 minutes after where you're in your kitchen. Like, what, what am I doing with my life, dude? So, I haven't been watching any Zoom shows, but my buddy, comedian friend of mine, Paula Lee out here in LA, he does, him and uh, his comedian, his friend, Matt Reif, they do a comedy show in outside. And they got, they rented a truck and speakers. So they do, they stand on the truck and do their, do stand up. And it's been going well. They've been selling out. I think they've done it the last three months. And they've had like, you know, a lot of LA comics come through. Okay, well that's you know, cool. Like Sam Morell, I, I think has done it. Uh, Taylor Tomlinson all have like specials like Netflix, Comedy yeah. Central, with Eliza, uh, Neil. I think yeah, it's just like the line John John Radinsky from when he was on SNL. So there's a lot of people yeah. that have, have been getting on stage, and the shows, the shows like sell out, man. People yeah. people miss stand up. I feel. Yeah, well, I see Mo is on uh, Dave Chappelle shows out in uh, in uh, Ohio yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, in New York, it's the same thing. You know, they've been uh, a lot of the clubs, uh, the cellar, stand up and why they've been doing shows in the park and things like that. So, you know, it's, yeah, a lot of my friends are, are out there performing and I love it. I just talk to them. I'm like, I love that you guys are doing that, man. It's mm -hmm. so great, dude. And they feel so happy. It's just so great. I'm, I'm, I'm so I support all. Of it. I may not be doing the, the Zoom shows and the, and the stand ups, but I support all of it, man. How do you think it'll change? Like, you know, if you fast forward sort of two years um, when crossing our fingers, you know, we're, we're sort of back inside. How do, how do you think that'll affect stand-up comedy? Like, I think we're resilient people. We've obviously, like, if you look at March to now, it's resi like, we're obviously resilient. You know, it was very awful. It's very awful what's happening, but you can see humanity is, when they're tested, it look, look, you know, I feel it's a, I think it's a much better than March. I don't know if you would agree the situation we're in. I think people will be affected. You know, it's funny, like my anxiety, my mom was raised, how people act during COVID. My mom did that before COVID. She was washing shit before. Like the door stuff, I think it's cute when people do it. You'll see people take their shirt and go, dude, we did that as kids. And we had no idea what we were doing. And we got yelled at if we didn't do it. So we were in public and you went to reach a door. My mom would be like, what are you doing? That's dirty. So for people who... For me personally, I've already went through this whole paranoia of this this germ that's out there that you don't, you can't, because when we were kids, we didn't know what she it was our mom. So we're like, well, I guess there's this horrible germ that's going to get us. So we lived in this land already, like this imaginary, you can't even figure it out, but your mom's like making you uh, wash. Like my mom, even like then during the holidays was washing, I went to get a soda, she's washing the cans. <laughs> this is before COVID. I'm like, mom, give me a... She goes, no, nope, I got to wash them. You're like, oh. but we grew up like that. So watching people now, it's like, man, imagine living like that since you were born to like, until I left 24. And you had no concept at the time when you were young of what was happening. 
There was no news to tell you. You just go, oh, man, my mom said there's this germ that can get us, so we got to abide by this. So I think a lot of thing, a lot of people after this might have that uh, anxiety towards it. Like it's still gonna be there. They're gonna have that. Oh, you know, even when like they, there's a, a vaccine or what, what, whatever, they might be like, oh, a little hesitant or not. Because if you look at the video of Wuhan, of people parking, <laughs> just like okay, you're just like, I guess they're back to normal. <laughs> it's such a wild thing. Everyone around the world's like scared to do things, and you see this video of a phone party. <laughs> you have the same thing we had like how did you guys jump right into this the fastest dude it's not even next year there's not even a vaccine and they're just partying dude. <laughs> that's got to be the wildest thing to me i saw in 2020 it's like people being scared and and six feet apart then in one there's a dj just a DJ at a pool party, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, that there's at least like, yeah, I saw that, but there's like 20,000 people there. Minimum. 20,000 people. And then people here are like, yo, man, you know, six feet apart. <laughs> Let me take your temperature so you can have these chicken wings. <laughs> it's just living it up. You're like, hey, man, someone's lying. <laughs> the fuck am I, why am I in a parking lot, dude? I'm in a parking lot with a tent, but these people are partying. Home parties. What are they doing? How do they figure it out? But yeah, you know they've got the immunity, right? Yeah. Uh, so Dave, tell us, like, what's next for you? Can you give us a sneak peek of uh, of what we can look at towards uh, moving forward and what's next? I think, well, you know, congratulations to everyone at, uh, at Rami. It's, they got season three, so I, I don't really know details of when that's gonna go. That's gonna happen. I mean, it's happening, but I mean, like. Uh, actual dates of filming and stuff, but I mean that's dope. We're uh, we're generally all excited. I, I feel uh, for season three, it's always good to keep going. Um, and yeah, I think I think I might go back to Canada to do some stand up. It looks like it's opening up over there quicker than it is in America. Um, and then a podcast I do with a, uh, two co-hosts, Fivos and Ben. Ben's an actual therapist, like professional. So you get professional advice. You have two guys that are meandering and talking and then you got a professional person coming in and be like, well, this is the correct thing. So it's a podcast called The Beautifully Anxious. There's about four episodes out right now on all streaming platforms from Apple to Spotify. You can go listen. Every talk, every uh, episode is talks about a specific anxiety or mental health issue and with a therapist. So we were proud of it. We wanted to open up the dialogue about that. And it's just very helpful for us personally to talk like that and get that off of our chest instead of keeping it inside. So yeah, there's a Instagram, beautifully anxious, the beautifully anxious, if you want to follow us there and then we'll just keep putting out episodes. So that's awesome. Beautifully anxious. That's a great name for the show. I love that. Um, and, uh, just to sort of, uh, to close us out, one piece of advice, if you could give uh, one piece of advice to our, our listeners uh, about anything, what would it be? You know, when you get, when you think something like is affecting you, like you're taking it, like you're, you're like, oh, this sucks. Like I would just say, be kind to yourself in that moment. It's not as, it's bad, but it's, you know, maybe that's just, I do that. It's not as bad as you think it is. Just be kind how you, how you talk to yourself in those moments. I feel be kind to yourself because it kind of like adds to the suffering and the ex it gives extra days to that suffering. So, and then have fun. If you're not, you know, sometimes a lot of the times when I find myself not 
being in a good mood. It's like, because I've, I'm not having fun in stand-up anymore or acting. I'm like, I'm taking it too serious or I'm letting the stresses get to it. So, because uh, I did something yesterday, like recorded something yesterday and I, and I haven't done anything on camera or even stand-up since March. And it felt amazing. Like just the riffing and the dialogue back and forth. And it gave me like, it, it, it increased my mood like by 100%. And I haven't felt that rejuvenated since, yeah, before March. So it's just like, cause I was having fun. So I think having fun and being kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself and have fun. I think that's great advice for our listeners. Thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate you. That was great, Dave. Thanks so much. And Asha, great job. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.